It's 5.01 and you are tuned in to KZMU Moab Community Radio. This is Molly Marcello, News and Public Affairs Director here at the station, sitting in for Chrissy Williams this evening. Uh, we have two guests already in the studio during this week in Moab. Um, one for regular listeners will be a familiar voice. Hello, Mayor Joette Lankanese. Hello. And one is also a familiar voice if you're regularly tuning in on Friday nights. Hello, Jacques Hadler. Hi, good to be here in, for, the day, in the daylight. In the daylight, right, a different experience for you. Um, so these two are in studio. We have the mayor and the chair of the Grand County Commission um, to talk about a recent trip they took. It was a politicking trip mm-hmm. um, to Washington, D.C. So tell me, you know, why go to Washington in the first place um, from Little Old Moab? Well, um, I'm actually from Washington, so, so I tacked on a visit to my dad to the trip. But uh, Mary uh, McGann, uh, Commissioner Mary McGann and, and Joette have been working on this issue, the Umtra tailings pile, for years. And they're old hats at uh, going to D.C. And, and lobbying for the cause and mm-hmm. um, and money for further cleanup of the project, et cetera. So I, uh, I really wanted to tack on and and learn from them and um, kind of experience Washington as well as um, lobby for continued funding to get the tailings pile uh, removed and and mitigated in a timely manner as well as talk about a couple of other things that will that will go through no, and okay. and and I will say it was an absolute pleasure to go with uh, Commissioner began and Mayor uh, Langanese as well as uh, as Councilwoman uh, Durosery. It was a fun time. It was, yeah. <laughs> we walked and talked for three days. Wow. And so, you know, believe it or not, um, it is exhaust- exhausting to talk about the same thing over and over and over again. Yeah. But, you know, we were very effective. And the beauty about going to Washington and meeting with our delegation and others is we find out things that we didn't really know were going on. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But Okay. You know, um, it's just a great opportunity to see our federal government at work. So ostensibly, as Jack mentioned, you know, this main item up for discussion was the Umtra tailings pile, mm-hmm. which is just north of Moab. And Joette, you've been working on this ever since cleanup began. I've been working on this before they even decided to move the pile. <laughs> okay. So, so it's been like over 20 years that I've been involved in this project. And um, mm-hmm. when I went off the county council in 2009, I kind of backed away from it a little bit. And then there was some some hiccups along the way. Mm-hmm. And then when Mary became a county commissioner, she recognized the importance of having that historical background mm-hmm. when we go back to Washington. And um, so she invited me to come back and, and work with her and help her lobby, which she's very been very successful in and in, in getting the mm-hmm. appropriations for that project increased to the level where it's at today. Right. I remember that era and her arguing that, you know, if if these if our representatives or if the people at DOE don't see you on a regular basis, they might forget about you Mm -hmm. and not really fund you. Is that right? That's right. And that's that's kind of what happened. I think the commission at the time was doing their best. I think that they also felt like, well, it's working. Right. You know, and so we don't Mm -hmm. need to Mm -hmm. we don't need to really emphasize this. But really, you do. Mm -hmm. You know, these you know, we're looking at a billion dollars, really, by the time it's all said and done. You have to be there. They, you know, otherwise Mm -hmm. the money's going somewhere else. And so Mm -hmm. we've been pretty active um, since 2017 
mm-hmm. to make sure we go back there every year except for during COVID. And then during COVID, we still were writing letters mm-hmm. and keeping this on their radar. And we actually got a, another increase in funding during the COVID years. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's just really important for the county and the city to keep the eyes on Moab for any issue that we might have, actually. But this is a big one because it's a lot of money. And those appropriations are critical because that keeps um, folks working out there. It keeps the pile decreasing. It keeps the, you know, the the train cars full, I suppose. Um, So where are we now with the project in, in our local community? Well, we've moved uh, just just last December. We moved our 13 millionth ton of tailings. Um, so that puts us at about 3 million left to go. And if the current funding holds, it looks like we're able to move a million a year. So uh, looking at potentially 2026 wow. to, have, to have everything moved. And then there's further mitigation issues that need to be dealt with. But that would be the, that would be the, sure. the sum of the tailings. Sure. Um, and how much money are we talking about? We sixty-seven million dollars. Wow! Wow! A year. A year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and that's the project's been getting that for the last couple of years, and we want mm-hmm. to maintain that level of funding mm-hmm. um, until the the dirt is moved, and then then there will be some adjustments because, mm-hmm. like Jacques said, there's different things that are going to take place once all the debris and the dirt is moved. Probably won't need that much money because the expenses with uh, Union Pacific and the rail line and that kind of thing, but. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. for this, we don't want the funding to be reduced at this point because right. we're so close to the finish line. Mm-hmm. We don't want to delay it anymore. So, you know, when you went back to D.C., what was your you know pitch to the people who had, you know, have the power to make those monetary decisions? You know, how did you pitch it to them? Well, the pitch was a, a couple of fronts, but mainly we're not asking for an increase in money, mm-hmm. which we understand would be very difficult this year. So just continued right. continued funding at, at mm-hmm. the current level, the same level it's been for the last couple of years. Right. Uh, the second pitch is that it's a very bipartisan issue. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually had a letter uh, from 2019 um, signed by Congressman, our Congressman John Curtis, mm-hmm. as well as uh, Congresswoman Napolitano of California, who's a Democrat. Mm-hmm. Um, and and. I think we had, was it nine other congressional signatures on there, oh. of which we had very diverse political views. Mm-hmm. Pe- people were uh, almost amazed that, that you know, Raul Grijalva and Andy Biggs signed the same letter. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> the, sure. so, so that was fun. But the, the bipartisan pitch and then also that, um, so we were, we only met with folks, uh, our delegation from Utah and then folks downstream. So we met with um, Congress people from Arizona, Nevada and California and that, and you know, this is their drinking water. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Like I think upwards of 40 million people drink mm-hmm. or use water out of the Colorado. So our problem is their problem. Mm-hmm. And, and the one thing that really sells this project too is it was, you know, this project was started in uranium mining during the Cold War. And so the philosophy and the and the reasoning that we can get so much support from the federal legislation from all those states is because the federal government created this problem mm-hmm. for a need that they needed to solve. And so they need to clean it up now. So it's their responsibility to take care of what they started. Mm-hmm. And that seemed to be a really positive selling point as well. People Absolutely. felt the same yeah. way that, right. yep, if we did it, we need to take care of it. Yeah. So that was that was huge as well. Is it also, as you mentioned, Joette, you know, the fact that we are so close to the finish line of getting it cleaned up, did that help? Yes. Also? Very yeah. much so. Mm-hmm. They they really don't know um, what's, you know, there hasn't been a decent budget process back 
in Washington, (laughs) D.C., in Congress in a long time. If Mm -hmm. people pay any kind of attention, what they'll see is that there's always a continuing resolution until the last minute, and then they'll pass some sort Mm -hmm. of budget after all this bickering and back and forth. And this year, since there was a change in the House, the Mm -hmm. leadership of the House, Everybody's not quite sure what's going to happen. But they felt with our project, in fact, we heard a lot of, well, this is easy (laughs) because we weren't asking for any more money. We're so close to getting the project done, and Mm -hmm. it is really a federal uh, responsibility, a federal government responsibility. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so because of that, I feel pretty – and – we anticipate that that amount is going to be in the president's budget, which is a really important number to have in the budget that the president presents to Congress. Now, mm-hmm. when that happens, generally Congress rearranges everything. Okay. But if it's a number that we're not asking for anymore, it was in there before, then more than likely they're just not going to even worry about it. It's like already mm-hmm. approved. Yeah. There's no reason for them to worry about it. So I feel we felt pretty confident that we're going to, maintain that level of funding through the end of absolutely the yeah. and, and actually as, as an update it actually is in the president's budget oh is it i, it, I haven't it seen that just yet. found out a couple of days ago oh, good. Yeah. Wow. that's mm-hmm. great so it's it is at 67 million in the president's oh, budget that, which which it's huge. yeah that's it, huge. it's huge and and we didn't know that the president's budget right. was coming out while we were there okay. and it came out and you know we were like watching cnn while we were waiting in <laughs> congressman's offices but we never could figure it out because Federal yeah. budgets are very complicated. It's not as easy as the city or the county <laughs> no, where you look no. at a line item. So I'm glad to hear that. That's great. Thanks for sharing uh, absolutely. that. Absolutely. Amazing. So, you know, it sounds like it was a relatively easy pitch to make. You know, please don't um, cut this budget, but just keep it the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anything else to mention about, um, you know, basically lobbying for the cleanup here in Moab for the uranium tailings cleanup and your visit in D.C.? I guess uh, the biggest thing that people said is that we had all of our Utah, our our home rep and our home mm-hmm. senators on board, okay. and that's 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 a big thing. That's the first question everybody asked, sure. as well as your representative supportive of this. And and mm-hmm. I just want to thank Congressman Curtis for supporting this from the beginning. He's been mm-hmm. awesome and and just a great resource and and, right. and help for sure. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Now, um, Joette, specifically, you know, you've been working on this before they started cleaning up before they even decided to um as we go into transition mode what are, what's on your mind as far as strengthening relationships with federal lawmakers um because this is it's a big deal because once the pile is gone there's still a lot of work that needs to be done um and of course you know green county and moab city have talked about potentially taking over that that parcel of land Right. I think in terms of our relationship with our federal delegation, I think we're in great shape. Mm -hmm. And I also feel very confident in the downstream relationship that we've built with the downstream water users Mm -hmm. and the new people that have come on board. We need to keep them up to speed. So I feel really good about our process. Mm -hmm. But in terms of um, having the transition or the transaction to get the land to the county and the city, we're, we're, we're working on that, and um, we, we kind of have a few ideas of how that can be done. We're working really closely with the mm-hmm. Department of Energy. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of little options. I mean, the traditional way that the land get tra- gets transferred is through surplus 
property. Mm-hmm. And so it goes from a federal agency to another federal agency to a city or a state and then finally to local. Wow. And so that seemed very complicated and time-consuming. <laughs> yeah. So we're just like, is there another way we can do this? So we've had a couple of options. Uh-huh. We're going to try to find the simplest one mm-hmm. that will allow us to take over that site once it's mm-hmm. ready to be taken over. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And that is that is another piece that we worked on in, in Washington okay. as well, was, was just kind of getting... Getting getting the idea out there that we really are interested in local control over the site once mm-hmm. it's once it's cleaned up and, and mitigated and 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 now also asking you know we got a, a few disparate and interesting and encouraging um, leads about how like Joette was saying how best to to go about that because it is it is a complex issue and there's no clear path one way or another right. as to how that that happens right one of the things that we did really early on um, was. S- start um, forming the future sites committee that Mm -hmm. we've heard about, you Mm -hmm. know, and we've been meeting about, Mm -hmm. we've gotten a lot of comments about what we want to see there. We review that every five years and the department of energy loves the fact that we're doing that on our own as a, as citizens. Normally there's like a federal process to do that too. Wow. Mm -hmm. And we just took it upon ourselves to just do it ourselves. Mm -hmm. You know, why go through that process if we can take care of it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so we came up with this plan and we modify it every five years. We're in the process of doing that now. Mm -hmm. And that's a huge deal too, because it shows the federal congressional folks that we're planning and we have plans for the site. So not number one, you need to get it done. Mm-hmm. And number two, we need to talk about how we can implement those plans as a local entity and not, you know, just let it kind of sit there for a while with nothing happening. Right. So that citizen led process and folks may remember there was a survey that went yeah. out not too long ago. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, is important. Hugely important. Mm-hmm. It, 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 yeah, they were they were very impressed with the level of local um, with the mm-hmm. lo- level of local participation and buy-in on this, and I think that's that's going to be a huge deal going through. Right. Okay. Well, if you're just tuning in, we are speaking with uh, Jacques Hadler, the chair of the Grand County Commission, and Joette Langanis, the mayor of the city of Moab, and they just uh, recently returned from Washington D.C., where they met with um, a whole bunch of folks, and they talked about mainly the pile any any more to say about um politicking over the pile um this this year this year was easy okay it hasn't always been so easy because we've been asking for increases in money sure you know but so this was not it was very positive i felt very positive about everybody we've met with Mm -hmm. it it was and it was such a learning experience for me again Mm -hmm. mary and joette are old hats at this but uh Mm -hmm. But just going going back to Washington and and meeting with um, you mostly you don't really meet with the Congress people mm-hmm. uh, you meet with the staffers and just kind of figuring out the processes. We were lucky enough to meet with um, with our Congressman Curtis as well mm-hmm. as uh, Grace Napolitano, who's 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 basically the co sponsor of this. Mm-hmm. And uh, we we briefly met with and got pictures with our uh, Senator Romney, which is very exciting. Um, but but other than that, yeah, talking to to really engaged staffers. They're generally younger folks. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, who have different positions in the congressional offices, but just, just kind of running around between Senate and congressional office buildings and, mm-hmm. and meeting with folks and just kind of feeling the Washington buzz for me was super exciting and informative. <laughs> and then in terms of our, you know, other states, California is a huge, um, they're huge on this project. They, sure. You know, because of them really is mm-hmm. one of the reasons I think we 
got the pile moved and got the funding. Mm -hmm. And so fortunately, we were able to meet with John Watts, who's been on this project with me as long as I've been on this project for Senator Dianne Feinstein's office. And as we all know, she, well, maybe we don't know, but she will be retiring. So it's good to be able, it was good to be able to keep her office involved in this. So whoever takes over, this is already way down the path. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, Grace Napolitaniano, her office has been involved from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. One of the things we talked about was the rail line. Mm-hmm. And Grace, mm-hmm. that, you know, this it cracks me up because this happens every single time. I go in there and we talk about Union Pacific and how we would like to see us be able to use that once the, the project is complete for rail service, for a Rocky Mountaineer to be able to unload their passengers there, perhaps to do a service that brings people from Salt Lake down mm-hmm. on that existing line. So every single time I've mentioned Union Pacific, she picks up her cell phone and calls the CEO of Union Pacific and says, I'm sitting here with Moab. You need to talk to them. And every single time the next day I get a call from the Union Pacific CEO to talk about or somebody wow. at a higher level to <laughs> talk about what our needs are and what we need to get done every wow. time. Wow. So that just tells you how important these face-to-face visits yeah. are and, and how it connects mm-hmm. you to other people that are important in this project that we may not have even okay. thought of or known. Mm-hmm. And then you have that, you know, connection, that annual connection with the Union Pacific Rep, which is right. going to be important to the next, you know, few years of this process. Exactly. Uh, it's huge. Yeah. It's yeah. It was, yeah. That, that was an amazing experience. Just her picking up the phone and literally getting the CEO of Union Pacific on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, in Moab, you know, you can feel we can feel so isolated and so disconnected. Um, even from our state politicians sometimes. And um, even that framework that this is important to other states, not just Moab, I think mm-hmm. is is really crucial to getting making change happen. Right. Absolutely well, it was. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming up and telling us about your D.C. trip. There was more on your plate, I hear, um, some public lands issues. Is that right, Jacques? Yeah, yeah, we did. We had it. That was that was kind of a secondary issue going to Washington, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it, there was a couple of aspects to that. We wanted to uh, talk about the nat- the Arches National Park Reservation mm-hmm. System, um, and then we also wanted to just inquire and talk about open conversation about just getting more resources for our our public lands folks here, especially National Park, but also looking at BLM as well, mm-hmm. uh, Forest Service, other federal agencies. Okay. Um, so we did have our our uh, county lobbyist, Cody Stewart, um, mm-hmm. had worked in Washington, and he, he's actually the nephew of Chris Stewart, who is oh. a uh, Utah representative. Um, so he set us up with three meetings with um, public land subcommittee mm-hmm. Um folks and and those were those meetings were all really informative we i think i think we all learned a lot we we learned a few different things there and um and i think it's a just a great first step of of talking about that to folks in washington right um yeah and I don't know if you want to jump into it sure. and, and we can we can talk about some of the some of the content of those uh, of those well, discussions. Came, yeah, what came out of that was which was surprising. We went in there to talk about timed entry okay. and how we need to support the park service because they have a limited amount of resources and the, what they found last year was staffing was a problem, mm-hmm. seasonal, you know, how the whole bureaucracy works. Mm-hmm and seasonal employees and you know they gave us some ideas but then we talked about housing and that's a big problem for us because a lot of these seasonals don't have any place to live and as you know the friends group bought a house for the park service several years ago that was kind of friends of arches Arches and canyon Canyon lands Lands. and and that that was um 
kind of a new thing. Mm. There's never been a park where a house was purchased by a friends group outside of the park. Wow. And so for the park service, that was like, wow, mm-hmm. you know, this is interesting. And mm-hmm. then during our conversations, we heard about a new law that <laughs> our Congressman Blake Moore, who's the congressman for Park City, is, you know, is um, sponsoring, and it's called the Lodge Act. Okay. And essentially what that does is it allows partners to build housing inside the park and outside the park. Very similar to what we did. We bought a house, but, you know, you could, the friends group, I mean, when I say we. Um, so that was that was all new to us. We hadn't even heard about this bill. There are some issues with it, though, and I haven't really had a chance to look at it in depth. I don't know if you've had Jacques since I, then. You know, I looked I looked it up, but it, it's actually kind of hard to find specific information about these things. It's... Mm-hmm. The, the act actually passed the House at the very end of last year, but then, you know, it kind of timed out with the new Congress coming in. Mm. So they, they'll mm-hmm. have to bring it back to the House. I see. Okay. But, um, but it was interesting that, that that resulted from our very first conversation, the first couple of minutes of our first conversation, yeah. actually. So we spent the, the, the next couple of meetings mm-hmm. trying, to, trying to dig in further on, right. on that. Okay. So what it does is it, like mm-hmm. I said, it allows partners to build mm-hmm. housing within the National Park Service for seasonal workers the caveat the problem is it also currently allows anybody else to live in this housing okay and so that mm-hmm. we kind of have a problem okay. with. but Jacques and I we were like okay let's think about this mm-hmm. when we were like banning going back and forth about yeah. this legislation and not really having the whole detail but we did reach out to our partners the National Park Conservation Association because they've been, we, mm-hmm. you know, we were told they were involved in it, mm-hmm. so we wanted to get their feedback, which was great. You know, mm-hmm. it's just like immediately we got information back from them that kind of helped educated us a little bit better. Certainly, yeah. And, you know, so we were just talking about it, and it's like, so let's think about it. Before we say no, right. that's not going to work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Jacques, you know, he's an outfitter. He knows what it's like, and it's like, what about concessionaires? Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't we want a park service concessionaire to have options mm. for that housing if that would work? Right. As you know, as somebody outside of the park service family, so to speak. Sure. Um, as well as other federal, like like you know, the the Forest Service and BLM are perpetually mm-hmm. understaffed here, mostly because of the housing issue. So, sure. If other federal agency land management agencies could could have mm-hmm. access to that housing, that would mm-hmm. be that would also I, I think be appropriate. Right. So national parks adjacent Department of Interior umbrella sort of. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, and the thing you want to avoid, uh-huh. and I think the biggest criticism, uh-huh. you don't want like 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 billionaire, you know, <laughs> mansions inside right. the national park. Yeah, right. we don't want to create, we don't want to open a door unintentionally, right. you mm-hmm. know. But we also understand the importance of housing for our public land mm-hmm. employees and seasonal employees, mm-hmm. and for our local outfitters mm-hmm. that use the park service to, for their businesses. So, right. so we just kind of thought, you know, I think we could live with that, you know. And that's what when we went and talked to other folks, you know, the congressional mm-hmm. folks about it, you know, because they asked for it. They specifically said, mm-hmm. we would like your support, Moab mm-hmm. and Grand County. And mm-hmm. so we're talking to the city. Council's talking about perhaps writing a letter of support for more of a tiered approach to who gets to live in that housing. And it can't just be Joe Blow who's working at the bar downtown. Right. You know, there Absolutely. has, to, there has yeah. to be some connection to the park service mm-hmm. and and I don't mean that that we don't want to have housing for all those people but this right. is specifically for park service mm-hmm. employees because mm-hmm. that's a real challenge for our community in all avenues but we really want I mean that was like to me that was like wow 
that's a great idea yeah. if we can make that happen. Yeah, it was it was really cool to, to hear about that right away and then to be able to follow up on that yeah. while we were there over the course of the And trip. then, of course, I want to ask you because one of the, the fear responses might be, well, are we just building too much housing in our parks then? Well, there's some challenges with it. I did reach out to um, one of the Park Service employees that I work with. And, you know, here at Arches, the problem is there isn't enough infrastructure. There's right. no connection to a sewer system. Right. So to build more housing, that would be a challenge for us. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it's probably similar up in Island in the Sky. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, you know, locally, it's like you have to look at each park. It's mm-hmm. not, you know, we, we're in our little bubble of Arches and Canyonlands, but this is going to impact all the national mm-hmm. parks that have this problem. Who, you know, so you have to look at each case individually right. as right. to how it right. will work. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. But but there's room to move there, and it, and it is a really interesting concept and one that that could definitely be helpful in the future. What we don't want is private, privatization, <laughs> thank you, of the National Park Service. Yeah. And that's, you know, when you open that door mm-hmm. to just let anybody come in, you're kind of stepping towards that direction, and we certainly don't want that to happen. Right. Right. I think another interesting thing that we found out when we were talking to these folks is we brought up, you know, more resources, more money kind of for mm-hmm. boots on the ground. And one of the mm-hmm. things that they that a lot of people told us is they didn't think it was a money issue. They thought it was more of a red tape right. mm-hmm. and kind of a bureaucracy issue mm-hmm. and that and that the government had to work through some things, but that the money was there. It was just a matter of um, just facilitating. Mm-hmm. Um, OK. Yeah. Getting 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 the resources to at to the local level kind of being creative right with the money that they have allocated to them is you know a way to okay. put it in a yeah. positive way yeah. it's just like they have access they just need to be a little more creative as to how they're able to spend it is that something that you two agreed with in the moment or it's, now or? it's honestly yeah. I, I don't think i have enough of an understanding of how those things work to mm-hmm. to agree or disagree yet yeah. but it is interesting that that that's not a concept that i had True thought about before so sure. so just thinking about it that way and 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 you know helps helps our thought processes going right. forward and mm-hmm. and it will inform mm-hmm. since i have experience working yeah. with the national park service at the friends level and raising money right. i can assure you that there's a lot of bureaucracy that's very <laughs> right. frustrating at the park service patty mm-hmm. trap i'm sorry you know that that's true i you know i've said that to your face but Nothing the beauty new. of having a friends group mm-hmm. is that we don't have to deal with that bureaucracy. Right. And so by allowing a friends group or an NHA, mm-hmm. Canyonlands Natural mm-hmm. History Association, to kind of drive it, mm-hmm. takes mm-hmm. that bureaucracy piece out of sure. the housing development within mm-hmm. the park. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there is a lot of bureaucracy. There's a lot of red tape. I mean, that's just the way in all federal agency, mm-hmm. that's the way that it is. But having nonprofit partners be a part of the process kind of allows them to not have to deal with that bureaucracy and still solve the problem. Yeah. It's almost like a workaround where, you know, you the friends group can address certain things. Right. <laughs> that, you know, might take eons. For the park. Right. Yep. Okay. All right. So that was something that came up in those public lands discussions. Anything else that came up when in your meetings with um, our federal uh, representatives and, and staffers? Well, one thing I do want to mention, because I thought this was really interesting. Mm-hmm. We were, we had a little, very little time, but yeah. there was occasions that we did have time to go do something else besides walk the halls of Congress. <laughs> okay. And, and, you know, we were talking about timed entry system, mm-hmm. you know, and that's one of our, one of the things we wanted to talk about. Mm-hmm. So here we had some time. We had some time to go to the Library of Congress. And so we walk up to the Library of Con- Congress and there's a QR code. <laughs> you must have a timed entry <laughs> ticket to go into the Library of Congress. 
So it you was were like, rejected. <laughs> well, <laughs> we, we weren't. We got in okay. But it, was, it, was, it was actually a great system. We were able, they, they, you, you pulled the thing up on your uh-huh. phone really quick. I read the QR code and I'm no phone wizard at all. Uh-huh. So it was a little bit like, uh, yeah. but um, yeah, pulled it up and it showed that there was, um, there was a significant number of slots left uh, mm-hmm. about 20 minutes from when, from the time that we were at and we had, we had the time frame. So mm-hmm. I was able to navigate it and it was, it was free and right. um, mm-hmm. I got us four slots to get in. Yeah, uh, 20 minutes down the line and everything worked out just fine. You know, I have experienced this in um, museums now. Like if there's a special exhibit, you get your QR code and they tell you what time in that day what in your visit that you should show up to the special exhibit. So I wonder if it was something similar. Like I'm that. sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just everybody wants to visit, you right. know, and so that's just the way that I have a feeling we're going to see our museums and our parks go as long as there's more people in the world they're all going to want to go there we have to manage it it really is going in that Mm -hmm. in that direction for sure right so you talked about you talked time entry was there any any sort of for lack of a better word right now vibe related to the federal representatives and staffers that you've talked to or was it more just about information like hey time entry is happening in our community I didn't get any vibe. Uh, yeah, I didn't get any vibe either. They were interested in hearing what we had to say in our okay. in our perspective, you know. Okay. And um and I think uh, yeah yeah you know the folks the the powers that be will look at the timed entry and and we mm-hmm. hope that they'll they'll take it off of a pilot program status and, and make it a yeah and that's what we emphasize okay make yeah. this permanent so that yeah. we can put the infrastructure in place mm-hmm. that, and, that it's going to be needed for it to be a permanent program and there's definitely wrinkles to be ironed out and mm-hmm. and you know we it, it can certainly be improved on we and we want to see it improved on but i think in general it's good and, and we were advocating for that it seems like a lot of like down to the wire issues like getting faster internet at the booths, for example, or streamlining rec.gov, that sort of thing to make the wait times. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we talked about that. And my Mm -hmm. understanding, I talked to MPCA, my colleague at MPCA today is that they did include your park pass in rock and rec.gov now. And that was part of the problem. And so that'll save a lot of time. Right. So when you buy your, make your reservation, if Mm -hmm. you don't have a pass, you can, you can buy it now at Mm -hmm. rec.gov. So you don't have to show you know you don't have to worry about paying that at the entrance station awesome yeah so that would streamline someone who wants their park pass um but you know they don't have to take the time to actually (laughs) to purchase it it at the gate Mm -hmm. and it also alleviates the people that were buying you know two dollars is what it cost Mm -hmm. people were buying five days in a row right for 10 bucks and so if they you know so what if i lose five dollars you know and i go three days i mean Mm -hmm. so and then they weren't using their ticket so it kind right. of it's like you're not going to want right. to pay for your pass for every time that you make a reservation because that's what you would have to do now. Okay. All right. Well, thank you two for being with us here, um, Mayor Langanese and Chair Hadler. It's always fun to have you in. Again, these two just and you know with uh, other city and county commissioners were in Washington D.C. on kind of a informational, politicking, fact-finding mission. Um, any last words for us before we take a music break? No, no. Just thanks for the opportunity, Molly. It's always a pleasure to come up to KZMU, and, and it's always great to uh, to hang out with the mayor. <laughs> <laughs> and I hope that um, some of our other city council members and commissioners have an opportunity to do what we did, because it's really an eye-opening experience, and it's a lot of fun. And you really can... You really do make a difference. It, you yeah. do make a difference when you go back there. It, it is. It yeah. is awesome, and it's awesome going as an elected official. I, I think. Yeah. I think most people really respect that, and, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, and, and 
what a great experience. Mm-hmm. Can't can't wait to do it again. Yeah, the importance, you know, before we go, the importance of reaching out to, you know, our federal representatives and staffers on that face-to-face level. Any takeaways there? Well, <laughs> our federal government is run by staff. Right. <laughs> yeah. Really uh-huh. competent right. staff. I mean, you know, <laughs> seriously. I mean, right. you know, they they right. work with their right. with their bosses, but mm-hmm. yeah. they and get all the information and share it, you right. know, and help with mm-hmm. that decision-making process. And and it couldn't not be that way. It, it's right. just such a huge job. And when you mm-hmm. go there, you just realize the scope of everything that these these officials have mm-hmm. underneath them and and it, it really does require a, a team to to mm-hmm. work on everything. Yeah. Right. Oh, well, thank you, too. Thank sure. you so much. Um, we certainly appreciate having you up here. Um, you've been tuned into This Week in Moab on KZMU, and uh, we are going to take a, a little music break and be back with uh, Molly Clark from the Moab Valley Multicultural Center, who's going to talk talk to us all about Multicultural March, which is their big fundraiser this month. So stay tuned. Thank you for being here with us. We just heard from the mayor of Moab and the chair of the Grand County Commission on their recent trip to Washington, D.C. We are back in the studio with uh, another guest. Hello, Molly. Hello. Thanks for having me. So Molly Clark is here from the Moab Valley Multicultural Center to talk about Multicultural March. Um, This is a month-long celebration of diversity, and it's a fundraiser for our beloved Mm -hmm. Multicultural Center. So what are you guys up to this month? Yeah, thanks for asking. Um, It's all over the place, um, (laughs) as per usual with the Multicultural Center. Um, Just this morning, I went into HMK with our education coordinator, Brodia, and we've been reading a book um, by Malala Yousafzai Mm. to all the fourth and fifth grade classes and doing a little activity there, Mm -hmm. um, talking about what culture is. And that's um, a big part of Multicultural March is, yes, the fundraising part of it, Mm -hmm. but also we like to pair it with all of those outreach events throughout the month. All right. So outreach events, I've got, I don't know if you... If, dear listener, you are um, a reader of our local papers, but there's uh, a bit of an advertisement. It has a schedule, uh, literally a schedule of events for Multicultural March, (laughs) and you are busy. You are very, very busy. So you were in the schools today. Um, What else do you have going on? Yeah. um, So the ones that are left, there's still so many, um, Mm -hmm. and most of them involve food. (laughs) Um, We've got a great cocktail going at 98 Center. They made us a delicious, like, cucumber margarita. Um, And these are all ways that you can support MVMC. Um, We've got a lot of local business partnerships who um, donate a percentage of sales or Mm -hmm. dollars of everything to us. Um, So... 98 does that. Um, you can go to the donut shop on Wednesday, the 22nd, and get some donuts. Um, John's wonderful. Mm. Um, you can pre-order tamales. We're having a tamale luncheon on the 31st, which is also notably my birthday to Molly. Get it? <laughs> um, <laughs> so if you want if you want a dozen or half a dozen or whatever to take home, you can get that pre-order to us by Thursday. And these are homemade tamales. These are... Uh, tamales made at La Milpa in Grand Junction, mm. which is a small business there. Neat. Um, but they mm-hmm. are all handmade, yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah. 
And then there's something going on next week at the Moab Barkery. Mm-hmm. Yep, they're doing, a I think, a 10% day for us. And then on this Saturday as well, you can go get yourself some coffee at Coffee Roasters. And they're doing a percentage day for us. Amazing. How does it yeah. feel as a staff member of the Multicultural Center to have this like business support? It's so cool. Uh-huh. Um, I, um, I love that we partner with our local businesses and that so many small businesses are excited to help us out it feels exciting that like hopefully also by the hype we bring to it (laughs) we can drive some additional sales for them on those days but um it's just so cool to have um business owners who are also invested in us and this you know march fundraiser you know i'm i'm gonna go out on a limb here and say that this is especially important because these are funds that are not restricted is that yeah. right? So it sounds the, like you work at a nonprofit too. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So what that means in nonprofit lingo is that, you know, it's not attached to a certain grant. It's not um, attached. There's no strings attached, right? So you yeah. can use this money in ways that um, align with your mission and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> is that kind of what the deal is? Yes, absolutely. Um, and we love our grant funding, but our, uh, these unrestricted funds are super important. Mm-hmm. Um they are what we use for our emergency crisis funding for mm-hmm. clients who come in who are like in an acute crisis situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and we found that if we um, screen a client and talk to them about their needs, we can pair a very small amount of money um, to jump over some really big hurdles, mm-hmm. um, be that like an apartment application or right. an outfit for a job interview, things that it's not a lot of cash, but like mm-hmm. they need that little cash to like jump over that that um barrier if you will okay and you know the the multi as you mentioned the multicultural center does do crisis work so Mm -hmm. can you talk a little bit more about that yeah um so in 2019 we finalized our homelessness services or housing and homelessness services before that um we were really doing mostly um, language services for our immigrant population um, and just helping them navigate the U.S., and that's still about half of what we do. Mm. Um, Now that we finalized these housing and homelessness services, I think one really cool thing is that it helped the rest of the community, regardless of how they identify, Mm. um, Mm -hmm. realize that the Multicultural Center is also a place for them. Um, Mm -hmm. And that can be, oh, so many numbers of things. Um, But the, the way I like to describe it is if you have a problem and you want a teammate to figure it out, you can bring it in and we can Google it together. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> I feel like in my experience um, in the Moab community, it seems like the Multicultural Center is always adjusting to meet whatever need is presented to them. Yeah, I yeah. think that that's true. Um, and that's something that I love about it is that it is like kind of a center of hospitality. Mm-hmm. Um, it's flexible and mm-hmm. um, yeah, we can kind of bend to meet needs as long as like you don't want medical advice because you can come to me <laughs> right, um, right but below that mm-hmm. we can work through a lot of stuff right now you also mentioned um that you were in the school so the multicultural center does do a lot of education programming and works with youth mm-hmm. any thoughts there <laughs> yeah i think that the youth of moab are better educated on what the day of the dead is than probably <laughs> any youth in any other town in the U.S. Yes. Um, I'll venture to say it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we do a lot of programming with the schools and with some other summer camps to mm-hmm. both um, kind of include kids whose 
families aren't aware of the idea of summer camp. As it turns out, that's a very U.S. American thing. Mm-hmm. Um, into summer camps and uh, like, what do you, what do you call those? Enrichment opportunities sure. like yeah. that. Um, but also to like, we live in a we live in a little town in Utah. Um, so to help our youth just realize how much more there is to the world um yeah Mm -hmm. this morning we were talking about the language urdu and they were all of a sudden wondering how many languages there are and where is pakistan and Mm -hmm. i don't know um right yeah so just talking about how much bigger the world is than than just what we see Wow. All right. If you're just joining us, um, you're listening to This Week in Moab. My guest is Molly Clark from the Moab Valley Multicultural Center. And uh, the MVMC is doing a month-long celebration of diversity. And it also happens to be a fundraiser um, for, as I said, our beloved uh, Multicultural Center. Um, Yeah. Anything else on your mind as we we are now, you know, turning the almost in the home stretch yeah, <laughs> of March, right? Really. So where are we now? Um, where's the Multicultural Center now with um, funding, with um, excitement for the rest of the month? Tell us about that. You know, it really always picks up at the end of March. Okay. Um, all of a sudden, everyone gets so excited and it's like, guys, we have to meet our goal. Right. Um, it's classic Moab, too. Wait till the last minute. We got to wait till the last minute. <laughs> right. It's who uh-huh. we are. But we are at almost 8000 of our $18,000 goal. But that's um, we haven't. We don't have any of that, uh, those numbers from our business sponsorships yet. So um, help us meet that. And I think one awesome way you can do that is to um, order some tamales. Um, Just give us a call at the center and we'll get you on that list. And then you can come pick them up at the soiree at the end of the month month and hang out with us. I think that would be really awesome. So there's still opportunity to pre-order some tamales is what you're telling me. There is. (laughs) Until Thursday. (laughs) Get that to us by Thursday and you will have yumminess. Again, this is an important fundraiser for the Moab Valley Multicultural Center, which does so much in our community. Um, You mentioned that the youth of Moab probably know very well what Day of the Dead is. That is, you know, one of the biggest events in Moab. Um, Tell us about that for anyone who who hasn't had the pleasure of going. Yeah, um, that is Day of the Dead is our, I would say, biggest party of the year. Um, <laughs> and it's a time when we get to welcome our whole community. It's usually like seven or eight hundred people um, into our space. Um, Day of the Dead is a very traditional um, celebration in Latin America, um, not just in Mexico, that, though that's uh, most widely mm-hmm. known. Um, and it's a time to celebrate the lives of everyone who's passed before us. Um, and yeah, I don't know. It's a really, it's not spooky like Halloween. It's a very upbeat and happy mm-hmm. celebration of our community. And it's definitely, you know, um, a way that, one way that the Multicultural Center brings community members together. Yeah. Anything else on your mind uh, this March, you know, other programming, other events ahead for the Multicultural Center that doesn't have to relate to Multicultural Center March? Oh, other events for us coming up. I'm sure you're very focused on the fundraiser right now. Honestly, I am. (laughs) Um, No, you know, March is such a big push for us. um, And yeah, I think we're all just kind of buckling into that. And, and there's been so many fun parts of that this month. So, you know, um, I will say that, you know, I've noticed that the Multicultural Center is now doing um, multi Is it Multicultural Minutes? Yes. On social media? Yes. So, yeah. Um, what are these? 
Multicultural Minutes are um, a new part of our Facebook um, because the Multicultural Center is what I would call kind of the catch-all nonprofit. We're not Mm -hmm. uh, limited to any one type of service. And we do broad social services, legal navigation, Mm -hmm. medical interpretation, youth outreach, et cetera. Um, We have started doing the Multicultural Minute to give people a little bit of insight to what that looks like on a daily basis. Um, They're often goofy, but they also, (laughs) um, they, they tell you about our staff, they tell you about our programs. Um, they keep you in the know on what's coming up at the Multicultural Center, um, and I would absolutely recommend checking them out because they're funny. Yeah, I've noticed, you know, even in this brief conversation, you've mentioned, you know, education, you've mentioned crisis, you've mentioned um, other, like, cultural programming, mm-hmm. you have a community event, like, you, <laughs> yeah, the Multicultural Center does a lot. It's very broad, and right. it's wonderful because the needs of our community are broad because we are a diverse community. Um, Um, though yeah sometimes that's sneaky and um I know you have a dedicated um source of volunteers in our community too um what are like other ways that the multicultural center could be supported yeah um we love our volunteers um we've got a great volunteer coordinator if you are interested in getting involved let us know um we can always definitely put you to work for that (laughs) um (laughs) Right. We, uh, yeah, volunteering. Oh volunteering. Volunteering. Right, exactly. We have a community tool shed. You can stop by, visit us, grab a tool if you right. need one. I don't know. And the Multicultural Center also has a food bank. We do. Yeah, we're one of three in town, and we're the only one that's open every day. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, we just got, you know, we have the staples. Um, it's definitely, like, uh, something to help people get by, not, uh, it can't be a, a full food source for a family. Right. Um supplement. Yeah, but it is a really good, I think we're one of the largest entry points for homelessness in the community, Um, and I find that the food bank is a really low barrier, easy way for folks to come just kind of get to know us. They don't Mm -hmm. have to tell us about their lives. They just Mm -hmm. can show up and say, I'd like a bag of food, and that's, I mean, that's that. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that that kind of highlights what I love about the Multicultural Center, which is that we keep it as low barrier as possible um, and really just want people to feel comfortable sharing whatever yeah. it is they've got going on there. Well, thank you so much, Molly. Um, Molly Clark from the Moab Valley Multicultural Center. It's Multicultural March. Any last thoughts about um, events coming up this month or um, this fundraiser? I mean, just check out our Facebook page. Um, if you don't have Facebook, check out our website, mm. moabmc.org. Um, we've got all sorts of fun things going on. And if nothing else, you should come get tamales. Because <laughs> they're so good. Um, but we just really appreciate KZMU for having us today. We appreciate all of our small business sponsorships throughout the month. Um, and we appreciate our Moab community because that's who we get to work with every day. And that's so good. Thank you so much, Molly, for being here. Um, you've been listening to This Week in Moab. Thank you so much for tuning in. Keep it tuned to KZMU. KZMU.